do want to tell you, our listeners, about three general coping strategies that can be used to deal with fear of crime and terror. They are problem-focused, emotion-focused, and avoidance. We're putting these out there to hopefully help you to check yourself so that you can implement healthier coping skills and avoid the less healthy ones. When faced with terror, everyone has to find some way to cope with all of the stressful factors involved, including the uncontrollable and unpredictable nature of the potential danger and harm. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome. I have something obvious to say to you, Cindy. Okay, Julie. I think I know what it is. Well, that's that's because we plan these podcasts together. <laughs> True. So what is it? Fear of terrorism in an increasingly terrorized world has a negative impact on our daily life. Yes, Julie, that is obvious. But today, we're still going to dig into what that means. Because we're psychologists. And these are the things that concern us, that we worry about, that we sometimes lose sleep over. Right. Some terrorism can seem like a random and uncontrollable act of violence, but it's not random. And it has the clear goal of striking fear in as many people as possible. Terrorism attempts to intimidate groups of people through threats and unpredictable violence toward innocent people, creating helplessness and fear on as broad a level as possible. The increasing amount of gun and other violence, the terror that people feel every day, is creating trauma in a lot of ways. That's what I worry about, Cindy. People can show symptoms of PTSD from witnessing a trauma, from knowing about the trauma through people close to them who experienced it, even from watching media reports of terrorizing events. And all of these things happen frequently. And more and more so. People exposed to terrorism, whether directly or indirectly, through friends, relatives, or media exposure, often end up feeling as if they can all be potential victims. And, of course, they can. They can. We come to fear that anyone can be a target at any time, and that's the point of it all. That's how terrorists want us to feel. Exactly. And if you're part of a specific group being terrorized, like Asian people, Black and brown people, LGBTQ people, Jewish people, politicians, you can feel even more worried. People who've been touched by terror know that anyone can be a target, and this truth creates specific reactions which are not, too surprisingly, significantly affected by gender and social group. What does it mean for all of us to live daily life with the idea that terror can strike any of us anytime and anywhere? It's not good for us. It's not. Fear is an important emotion, and a normal response to certain scary situations like being victimized by crime or by terror. 
It's healthy when fear raises our anxiety enough to give us the energy needed to protect ourselves. But it's when fear produces levels of stress and anxiety that are immobilizing or psychologically damaging or physically damaging that it is no longer healthy. That's when it starts to have long-term health consequences. Everyone can be vulnerable to terrorism and the potential collective trauma it creates. But there are differences in the way we perceive it, react to, and cope with fear or the threat of terror. A lot of research on reactions to terrorism is taken from studies about fear of crime. In general, women show stronger fear of terrorism than men, which I suppose makes sense. They're less often armed, more often caring for others, and they're usually not quite as strong as men. Right. Interestingly, men are more likely to commit a crime and to be the target of it. We know this. And women are more likely to be targets of certain crimes like sexual assault, but in general, most crime happens among men. Yet paradoxically, research shows that women fear crime more than men. This has many names, but is basically referred to as a gender fear paradox. And according to the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder website, gender is a significant factor in perception, mood, and post-traumatic symptoms. In other words, women consistently show greater anxiety, depression, and PTSD symptoms than men do. There are several reasons for this. First, like you said, Julie, they're in general more vulnerable being physically smaller and less muscular than males. Rates of hidden victimization of women, like in intimate partner violence, family violence, or stalking, also tend to raise the level of fear in women. Women and people in certain marginalized groups, like people with disabilities and trans people, also fear crimes even more because of the added fear that sexual assault can become a part of them. Partly due to gender socialization, men are more likely to minimize feelings of fear, and also they tend to deny danger. They aren't supposed to show fear because it looks weak in our culture. So men downplay risk, while women fear more for their physical safety. Socialized most often as primary caregivers, a woman's fears may also be heightened by the need to care for and fear for many of the people in their lives. Right. So we've covered the fear part. We need some coping now, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do want to tell you, our listeners, about three general coping strategies that can be used to deal with fear of crime and terror. They are problem-focused, emotion-focused, and avoidance. We're putting these out there to hopefully help you to check yourself so that you can implement healthier coping skills and avoid the less healthy ones. When faced with terror, everyone has to find some way to cope with all of the stressful factors involved, including the uncontrollable and unpredictable nature of the potential danger and harm. So if you use a problem-focused approach, you tend to focus on the source of the problem and try to come up with ways to find solutions to change the problem and restore a sense of control for yourself over it. If you go for an emotion-based approach, you're more likely to manage the stress of extreme challenges by looking for emotional and social support. And avoidance coping, as it suggests, attempts to avoid or deny the problem rather than cope directly with it. Turns out these ways of coping are gender specific. 
When terror strikes, men more often seek problem-solving solutions, and their solutions are more likely to include some type of aggression and retaliation. Men also may minimize the impact and trauma to themselves and others. Whereas women are more likely to use social emotional coping strategies like seeking out friends or relatives to talk to or turning to religious leaders or counselors. Women's coping strategies typically involve less anger and more connection and sympathy toward victims and those around them. When people are mourning and grieving or dealing with uncontrollable life events or emotions, emotional strategies like these often work best. The ways that people of differing genders perceive and cope with events as psychologically stressful as a terror attack may end up affecting their psychological, physical, and social well-being differently as well. But even though this is true and these strategies might make someone feel better emotionally, it doesn't help them feel less vulnerable. Right. For this reason, in the aftermath of terror attacks, women tend to be at a greater risk than men for developing long-term psychological difficulties, including anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. When dealing with the fear of terror, research suggests that a combination of coping strategies would be the best and most realistic option. Well, that just makes sense, Cindy. A multi-pronged approach. Reaching out, joining others to overcome feelings of fear and alienation, and talking to friends can help with the emotional end of things and help with resilience. Banding together en masse is also a social emotional focused strategy that helps people cope with the loneliness and fear of being a potential victim. Sure, regardless of gender, people are a little less afraid if those around them are too, or if those around them are together in solidarity. Makes me think of neighborhood watches, you know, where people take turns watching over everybody. Mm -hmm. A problem-focused strategy is also important in helping to manage whatever part of the issue can be controlled, like increasing security, protection, and safety. That's the neighborhood watch. <laughs> <laughs> A little of both. Uh, yeah. Thoughts of potential attacks keep people up at night. Many lie awake with fear and also determination to find a good solution. Problem-solving approaches help mitigate the fear by offering a strategy to move beyond feelings of helplessness and lack of control. The person comes up with potential plans to feel less helpless. The problem-solving way of coping tends to be very helpful in reducing stress through information gathering and coming up with practical solutions. And while some avoidant distraction may be necessary at times to take a break from unrelenting stressful feelings. For example, get off of social media for a while. <laughs> but an avoidant approach overall offers the highest likelihood of maladaptive coping in the long term. How people cope and what happens in the days following exposure to a terroristic event has a really significant impact on their future coping and or the development of clinical levels of post-traumatic stress or anxiety or depression. Focusing on both addressing emotional needs and on possible solutions can help with longer term ability to cope adaptively. So it seems the healthiest approach is a combination, a non-binary approach maybe. There's a cumulative effect of living with the increasing amount of terror in our world, which is why we're talking about it. We see it in our psychology practices all the time. People are more stressed than ever. 
They're hopeless about things like war, global warming, politics. Often when people are overwhelmed all the time, they do turn to avoidance just to get a break. And some of that's important, but to a point. Understanding the different ways of coping can hopefully help people of any and all genders to focus on positive coping skills. We're not going to end terrorism, although we need to try to improve mental health care and meet the needs of people who wind up committing aggressive acts. But we also need to cope with our current reality so that we can live our fullest lives without so much fear and distress. Focusing on problem solving and social emotional responses, including self-care and nurturance, is crucial, as is trying to stay away from more negative responses like too much denial and avoidance. Or aggressive responses that just keep the terrorism going. We are all responsible for taking care of ourselves and our community. To learn more, you can go to the United Nations Office of Counterterrorism at un.org backslash counterterrorism. You can also once again check out the Southern Poverty Law Center at splcenter.org, which is working to dismantle white supremacy and fight domestic terrorism in our country. And that would be a good organization possibly to get involved with. At least donate to. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Until next time, take care.